We are continuing our series on true crime, stories of sin in the Bible. And we're shifting gears just a little bit by going to Luke chapter 7, where we'll study Simon's prejudice. Now, here's why that's a shifting of the gears. So far, in all the stories of sin we've talked about, the sins have been external. They've been obvious. Things like murder and theft and adultery. These have been done out in the open so that people can see even the one that involved covering up and hiding. Achan's sin was brought to light and it's a matter of theft and breaking God's law out in the open. So even in that case, it was something that was easily perceived, something seen. We're shifting gears today because we're turning from those kinds of external sins to an example of an internal sin, an attitude problem, prejudice. This was the issue that had to do with the man at the center of our story, a Pharisee named Simon. Now, Jesus was the one who pointed this sin out. And that's only natural because Jesus can see the hearts of men. John chapter 2, verse 25. It's a reminder to all of us, as we've said already in this series, that you can't hide from God, that when everybody else is fooled, God knows what's really going on in your soul. And Jesus told us that these internal sins are not to be ignored, that they can be as dangerous as the external sins. You can't hide them from God. Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Whenever uh, the Pharisees criticized Jesus' disciples for eating with unwashed hands, something they saw as an external sin, Jesus told them, it's not what you do with the body. It's not that. That's not where sin starts. Sin always starts within, whether it's something like murder that's done out in the open that people can see, or whether it stays in, all sins have their root in the heart. And here's how he explained it in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. He said, From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so you have some alarming things in the New Testament. Alarming because we see these warnings in ourselves. A lot of us can say, hopefully all of us can say, I've never murdered anybody. I never stole anything. I never committed adultery. But when you get down to things like 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, where John says, whoever hates has murdered his brother. Whenever you see this equation of hatred with murder, internal sin with external sin, when Jesus connects the dots saying, everything starts within and all that evil in your heart has the potential for the crimes you criticize the most. Well, that starts hitting close to home. And that's the case with Simon's prejudice. We're looking, as I said, at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. We're going to read a story that occurred around a dinner table. 
a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to his home for dinner. And uh, the events that transpire are eye-opening on this internal attitude that's sinful that we can find in all of ourselves. There are several characters in this. I want to look, first of all, at a sinful woman that crashed the party, so to speak. Uh, Suddenly, out of nowhere in this dinner, this woman enters the scene. And verse 37 tells us she is a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, the wording here may suggest that she was a prostitute, but it doesn't say for sure that is what was going on. Just that she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Jesus didn't disagree that she had been a sinful person. And uh, it seems that she was well known because uh, Simon, the host of the party, seemed to recognize her. And so she had done some things that everybody in her community knew was wrong. This isn't Mary Magdalene. She often gets confused with Mary because Mary is introduced to us at the beginning of the next chapter. All that is said about Mary in that chapter is that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. It doesn't say anything about Mary having been a prostitute. Nevertheless, this unnamed woman of the city who was a sinner, she comes into this dinner party uninvited and unannounced. And we read in chapter 7 that she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now what's going on here? Is it hard for you to imagine this dinner? If it is, it's probably because this is how you view biblical meals back in that time. This is the most famous painting of a Bible meal that I can think of, and we all have it ingrained in our minds. And this is more like the way we dine. We sit around a table and uh, chairs that are up off the ground. But more than likely, this meal in Luke 7 looked more like this, where they were reclining on couches around a low table. This is the traditional Roman style of dining, and the Jews had adopted it by this point. And this explains the scene here, and not only this one, but in John 13, when you read about Jesus' last supper with his disciples. Now, basically what they did is they sat three on each side, and they reclined on their left elbow so that their right hand was free to handle the food. And that would put the head of each diner in the chest of his neighbor. You think about how intimate a situation that is. You know, it says in John 13 that John, the apostle, was in the bosom of Jesus. That's because they were dining this way, which would mean their feet were outstretched behind them. And now you can see how this woman was able to come in and why she was anointing Jesus' feet with this ointment, this flask alabaster flask of ointment. And so this is uh, probably what was going on here, and it shows you in your mind maybe now you can imagine the scene. That's about all I want to say about the sinful woman for right now. Let's move to the prejudiced hypocrite, Simon the Pharisee. 
And I want to talk, first of all, about his character. Verse 36 introduces him to us before giving us his name, saying he was one of the Pharisees. Uh, Pharisees were a sect of the Jews. The word Pharisee means separate one. And they were considered highly religious. They were regarded as experts in the law of Moses, and they prided themselves in keeping the law of Moses perfectly. Now, it really wasn't the law of Moses with which they were most concerned. More so, they were concerned with the traditions of the elders. Not inspired scripture, but traditions that had been handed down from generation to generation. Uh, for example, in Mark 7, I referred to this a moment ago, they're criticizing Jesus' disciples for eating with unwashed hands. It wasn't a sanitary problem. It was a ceremonial issue they had with Jesus' disciples. And it had to do with the tradition of the elders. This is what they fought for. This is what they lived for. And of course, Jesus was very critical of them and their attitude toward others. In fact, when it came to sinners like this woman who came to this dinner unannounced, uninvited, they did not believe in forgiveness. They had the attitude of once a sinner, always a sinner. And Jesus was very critical of that attitude. If you look at uh, his discourse toward them in Matthew chapter 23, you'll see he calls them hypocrites seven times. He issues seven woes. And he refers to them with other appellations like uh, blind guides, serpents. He calls them a brood of vipers. He was highly critical of these people because of their attitude. This particular Pharisee, of course, was named Simon, and we know little else about him besides what's recorded here in Luke chapter 7. Now, he makes a remarkable request, according to verse 36, because it says that he asked Jesus to eat with him. We often think that these Pharisees were enemies of Jesus. He's issued an invitation. The word asked in the original is more intense than what you get in the English. And it suggests that he was asking Jesus over and over and over again, not taking no for an answer. And so Jesus finally came and dined with him. I, don't, I can't think of a, an occasion when Jesus turned down a dinner invitation. He liked to eat with people. And so as soon as he could fit it into his busy schedule... He came and dined with this Pharisee. Why did the Pharisee invite Jesus? Well, it's possible that he liked him. I know we often set all Pharisees in this box over here and Jesus over here, and they were opposed to each other. But there were Pharisees that liked Jesus. You've heard of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a friend of Jesus. He was also a Pharisee. Now, he had to come see Jesus by night for fear of his uh, brother Pharisees, but he liked Jesus. And in Luke 13, there's a case we talked about Herod last week. You know who warned Jesus about Herod? The Pharisees. They said, you better get out of town because Herod is coming. And so some of the Pharisees were friendly with Jesus, and, and maybe that was Simon's case. Maybe he was trying to trap Jesus or discover some fault that he could use against him. That was characteristic of the Pharisees. It doesn't really seem to be Simon's attitude, not completely here. The truth is probably somewhere in between. 
He was probably a little puzzled and skeptical about Jesus, but also intrigued. And you can see this in his thought process uh, as he wonders who this is. Uh, He uses the term prophet here in verse 39. And that's interesting because earlier in this chapter, you read about Jesus bringing back a man from the dead in the village of Nain. And after Jesus did that, chapter 7, verse 16 says that some of the people were saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And so it's interesting to go a little later in the chapter to verse 39 and see this man, Simon, saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Well, why is he thinking about Jesus in terms of a prophet? Perhaps he'd heard reports from Nain that a prophet had arisen among the people. And so I think his attitude was somewhere in between liking Jesus and trying to discredit Jesus. And he invited him over to investigate for himself. And he's asking, who really is this man? Who is Jesus? Whatever his purpose, Jesus would have been aware of it. He knew what was in men. He knew what was in Simon's heart. And so after trying to figure out why Simon invited Jesus, I think a good question is, why would Jesus accept the invitation to come and dine with this person? He knew Simon was uncertain about him, and so maybe he just went to go and help him. Jesus did that kind of thing, so that's a possibility. Others were present, so Jesus could have been using this as an opportunity not to help Simon, but but the other people who were there at the dinner. Also, he had supernatural abilities. Jesus could foresee the future. And maybe he could foresee the entrance of this woman. And he was there to help help the woman, perhaps. That was the opportunity. We know he loved people. As I said, he never turned down an invitation to dinner. This was yet another occasion where he could be around people. There are a lot of reasons why Jesus perhaps was there. But when he got there, he was not treated well. He was not honored, we should say, by Simon. Look at Simon's inhospitality. Another thing about culture, in those days, people generally did three things for their dinner guests, especially in in houses that were well-to-do like Simon's. First of all, they would greet them with a kiss. You know, uh, Romans 16, 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, That would be kind of strange here in America today in the 21st century, post-COVID. We don't kiss each other that much. But in those days, it's very common as it is today in that part of the world to greet one another with a kiss on the cheek. The second thing that they would do is they would usually have a servant at the door greeting the guests as they came in and washing their feet. Because in those days, people mostly walked when they traveled, and they wore sandals, and they traveled dirt roads, and their feet became very uncomfortable and dirty, and they were uh, self-conscious about them, especially walking into somebody's house. So they would remove their sandals, and the servant would take a basin and a pitcher of water and a towel, and he would wash their feet. And so that was a, a common thing. The third thing that was often done, though not as common, is uh, sometimes an honored guest would have his feet anointed with oil. 
um, oil that had a medicinal quality, oil that would comfort and soothe. There are many occasions where that kind of oil of gladness is mentioned. But whenever Jesus came to Simon's house, he got none of this treatment. In fact, later on, you can read this beginning in verse 44. He says to Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. Notice the personal pronouns. Me, my. This is a, an insult to Jesus. And he received it as such. Simon was not very hospitable to this guest, even though he had had, he had the most honored guest possible at his home for dinner, Jesus Christ. But we're here to talk about his prejudice. What is prejudice? Well, you can look at the word and break it down, pre-judge, and you get an idea. Here's the dictionary definition. Prejudice is the act or state of holding unreasonable preconceived judgments or convictions, an adverse judgment or opinion formed unfairly or without knowledge of the facts, irrational suspicion or hatred of a particular social group such as a race or the adherence of a religion. It's making a judgment before the fact. Basing your opinion about a person on what you see about him or her in the first few seconds that you see them. Basing everything on appearances or maybe behavior, or maybe social class, or race, or something like that. And that's a very evil thing that we excuse in a lot of ways today, especially when it's in our own hearts. Luke tells us, or rather Luke lets us look into Simon's heart and see his prejudice in verse 39. Look at what he thinks. He doesn't say it out loud. Look at what he thinks about this woman when she comes into his house and anoints Jesus' feet. He says, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now he is being prejudiced toward the woman, thinking that she remains a sinner just by her reputation or the way she looked. And he's being prejudiced toward Jesus, assuming Jesus has no idea who this woman is. Therefore, he's not a prophet. The Pharisees took the biblical injunctions about fellowship with sinners very seriously. You know, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And I showed you the diagram of, of uh, how they ate and how intimate such a setting was. They did not have table fellowship with sinners, even though... Everyone was a sinner. The ones they deemed sinners were not welcome in their homes, certainly not welcome at their dinner tables. So that explains Simon's astonishment. But the demeanor of the woman suggests that she had left her former way of life. Whether she was a prostitute or had committed adultery or was guilty of some other sin, whatever it was, she obviously had a lot of gratitude for Jesus and what he had done for her life. And it appears that she had left that way of life and did not deserve the estimation that Simon gave her. And so I want you to look at Simon differently than you often do. Understanding what prejudice is, making a judgment before you know the person, 
And ask yourself, is there any prejudice in my heart? Do I ever do this? Do I see someone who looks different than me, dresses differently, differently than me, talks differently than me, lives in a different neighborhood than I do, is in a different social class than, than I am, who's struggling differently than I do? And do I make judgments about them, usually negative? Do I make comparisons and think about how I'm better than them and how they shouldn't be who they are? Do I assume that they are in the position they are in because of some moral failure on their part? We all have our prejudices. It's a very common sin. And it's hiding in our hearts. And it comes out in different ways. But notice, Jesus is picking out the sin before it's come out in the open. Where in this story does Simon stand up and say, Get out of my house. Where does he say, Don't touch him, he's my honored guest. Where does he call on the servants to escort the woman out? He doesn't get to that point. It's just in his heart. And Jesus confronts it. And so let's look at that as we see the results of this dinner. After this dinner, where was Simon and where was this woman? Let's start with Simon, first of all. First of all, he was judged. Something miraculous occurs here because Simon had kept the thoughts in his heart, but Jesus confronted the man as if he had said those words out loud. And that should be a reminder to all of us that all of our sins are in the light of God's countenance. Psalm 90, verse 8. You're not hiding anything from Him. He knows your heart. He knows the prejudice in your heart. He knows the anger, the bitterness. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the, the immorality that you have on your heart. So you might as well quit trying to hide it and act like you're perfect because God knows, if nobody else does, that, that you're not. So first of all, he was judged. Secondly, he was corrected. Before he corrected Simon, though, Jesus told a brief parable. Let's look at it in verses 41 and 42. He says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Now, that question at the end of the parable tells us it's not about the amount, but it's about the awareness. He's not concerned about the amount of debt forgiven, but the debtor's awareness of his debt. And we know that because the question is, which one of these would love the one who forgave them more? Jesus forced Simon to acknowledge the truthfulness of the parable with this question. And you can hear Simon's reluctance in his reply. Verse 43, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you have judged rightly. Isn't that genius? I mean, he judged Simon by making him judge himself. You have judged yourself correctly. I think that's just amazing. But then he moves on to his application. Look at verses 44 through 47. Then turning toward the woman, 
he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Thus the woman's actions are explained. Her tears manifested the gratitude that was produced in her heart when Jesus forgave her. And it was produced because of her awareness of sin, not because, as Simon thought, of the amount of her sin. And maybe her sins were different, but they might not have made as big a pile in God's eyes as Simon's. What made the difference was the awareness. Simon wasn't aware of any sin in his life. She was fully aware of what kind of woman she had been. And so when he says, he who is forgiven little loves little, he's not talking about Simon having little sin. He's saying, Simon, you love little because your awareness of your sins is small. That's the difference between him and the woman. Finally, we wonder, was he enlightened? We hope so. As we said, he wasn't as antagonistic toward Jesus as maybe other Pharisees were. He seems to have been very interested in him. Did he open his heart up? You know, this is the problem with prejudice, is it's one of the hardest sins to repent of. I think pride is like that as well. When you're stubborn, when you're proud, when you're prejudiced, well, you're not aware of those things. The sin itself is a cloak. And you don't see yourself the way God sees yourself. And so, more than likely, this Pharisee did not repent. He wasn't enlightened. We hope he was. But let's turn to the woman. A few things about her after this dinner. First of all, she was approved. There's no doubt she nervously anticipated Jesus' response. She was taking a risk here. I mean, could you have done what she did? And this was a, a very risky thing that she did. So she must have been relieved when she heard Jesus say, Do you see this woman? At that moment, she knew she had been approved by Jesus. Number two, she was forgiven. He says, verse 48, Your sins are forgiven. Literally, that is, your sins have been forgiven. Or another translation says, Dismissed have been your sins. So this isn't the moment when forgiveness took place. Her sins have been forgiven before, which supports what we were saying about her, that she was no longer a sinful woman. She was sinful in Simon's eyes, but in God's eyes she'd been forgiven, which was why she was so grateful to begin with. And now Jesus is saying, not as the translations, uh, most of them say, "You you are being forgiven now. He's saying, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been dismissed. And now you are continuing to experience the gratitude for the forgiveness that you received. I think Jesus is saying something here about the gospel's terms for forgiveness. There wasn't universal forgiveness at this dinner. He didn't say to Simon, your sins have been forgiven. He said it only to the woman. Because only the woman had faith. Which leads me to the next thing. 
she was assured. Your faith, he says, verse 50, has saved you. Is that possible? It's true. We're justified by faith, not by works of the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. We believe in the heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Of course, this kind of faith drives you to please God. This, it, was, it was faith that made this woman conquer her fears and show Jesus how much she loved him. And it's faith that will cause a person to leave a life of sin behind and not do it anymore. It's faith that causes a person to be bold enough to confess, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, without fear. It's faith that causes a person to, to enter into the watery grave of baptism and uh, be raised up out of it into newness of life. It's faith that causes a person to dedicate his or her life to God for the rest of their lifetimes. That's what faith is. It's not just some mental acknowledgement. Well, yeah, I guess that happened. I guess Jesus died on the cross. That, that's not biblical faith. That may be a kind of faith, but not all faith saves. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James asks this question. He says, can that faith save a person? He's pointing to a particular kind of faith. He's asking the question, is this faith good enough? And he goes on to say, faith without works is dead. So real, true, genuine faith is what we're seeing here in this woman. The faith that drove her into this house uninvited and caused her to take a very costly bottle of ointment and anoint Jesus' feet with her tears and with the oil. She, her faith was assured, and then she was commissioned. He says, verse 50, go in peace. In other words, go in the peace of God, knowing that your sins have been forgiven, and tell others about it. We have a commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. If we have faith and we obey the gospel and are saved, should we keep that to ourselves? Or do we go in peace? Not go in peace, keeping your mouth shut, not causing any problems with anybody. Go with peace in your heart that drives you to tell others so that they can also have the same peace. There were different results for Simon and the woman. And we're not sure what happened with Simon, what we know with this woman. That she went in peace, assured of her forgiveness commission to spread to others. And so as we close, let me ask some poignant questions. Am I aware of the enormity of my sin? Am I looking at amount or am I considering awareness? Am I aware of the wonder of being forgiven of my sins? And having been forgiven much, do I love much? And how am I expressing that love for Christ? As far as we know, Jesus never turned down an invitation to dinner. When people invite him, he comes. And it reminds me of that letter written to one of the churches in Asia that closes 
As we read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants fellowship with you. He's not the holdout. In every case where someone is lost and living without Jesus, it's the sinner who is the holdout. Jesus is not like Simon. He doesn't have this attitude of once a sinner, always a sinner. He, he was able to bring this woman out of the depths of whatever sin it was, maybe prostitution, maybe something else. He was able to bring her out of that into a new life. And he can do that with you as well. No matter what you have done, God knows you. He's not guilty of prejudice, but he is the judge. You see, unlike any human person who has prejudice in his heart, God, he knows you. He, he knows what's inside you. Your appearances don't fool him. And even though he knows you, as bad as you have been, he loves you. And Jesus knocks at the door. Are you going to invite him in so he can dine with you? So he can have fellowship with you? If we can help you in any way with that, we ask you to come right now as we stand together and as we sing.